Welcome into another episode of the Hangtime Podcast. Sekou Smith here in Los Angeles on assignment for NBA TV. My main man, John Schumann, is in New Jersey. And John Hartzell's behind the glass in Atlanta. We're free. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Jimmy Butler is finally on a team other than the Minnesota Timberwolves. The four-time All-Star reportedly headed to Philadelphia in a trade that is expected to be finalized later today, creating, I'm assuming, what's going to be the latest super team. The Timberwolves get Dario Saric, Robert Covington, Jerry Bayless, and a future second-round pick. This gives the Sixers that other star shoe they were looking for to pair with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, does it not? It does. I think we still have some sort of questions about their perimeter shooting, but I think just have a guy, another guy that gives them some juice off the dribble. They're losing two solid role players in Covington and Sarich, you know, two guys that were able to space the floor around Simmons and Embiid. So they lose a little bit of that. They lose some depth. Now they're depending on guys like Wilson Chandler and, and Mike Muscala more than they were previously. But Butler obviously gives them more playmaking off the dribble. We saw in their loss in Memphis on Saturday, you know, they kind of struggled offensively down the stretch. And like the only shots they were getting were Joel Embiid threes. And that's not what you want. You want him catching the ball near the basket. You want other guys being able to shoot, but Memphis was able to sort of keep J.J. Redick under wraps and force some tough shots out of them. So I think having, you know, having another guy who can handle the ball and doesn't have to get into the paint to get his own shot off like Ben Simmons does obviously gives them a, a higher ceiling. Um, I'm curious to see what else they might have in store. They didn't really, the good thing is they didn't really use any prime assets as far as draft picks in this deal. And so they still have some things to play with. And obviously, remember, you know, Bellinelli and Ilyasova at the end of last year came via the buyout market. So they still have some issues to address as far as uh, adding some shooting. And then obviously the working out the Markel Fultz issue that just continues to be there. But they upgraded. And we look like we have four really good teams in the Eastern Conference. I'm a little surprised, John. I was expecting you to be <laughs> a little disappointed that Charge had to be included in this deal. You know, you, had, you knew you had to give up something if you're feeling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then I, I just wonder, like, is Minnesota going to regret not doing this earlier? You know, they they wait. You know, they went 0 and 5 on their road trip, and that was the signal. Hey, like, this isn't right. going to work. We're not fixing this situation. Forcing Butler to stay here and try to make things work is not working and then now they've buried themselves they're in 14th place in the in the western conference at four and nine it's only 13 games but we've talked in the past about how the first, how important the first 20 games are and how obviously deep this western conference is and and i wonder if the wolves are going to regret and tom thibodeau specifically in regard to his job security is going to regret not pulling the trigger earlier and adding some depth adding two solid pieces uh, i mean i like yeah. what they're doing I, and it's just a matter of if carl anthony towns can now shake uh, <laughs> whatever shake, was going on, yeah. Shake whatever's been bothering him and get back to establishing himself as one of the best young players in the league and sort of being the focal point of what should still be a very good offense. And then defensively is where they have to uh, get better. Yeah, we'll get to your power rankings here in a minute, Shu. A couple of points on this this trade. Does it? I mean, do you think this guarantees Philadelphia a move up from where they currently exist in the East? We went into the season with them being one of the favorites as a contender in the East with Boston and Toronto. I would argue that Toronto separated themselves even from Boston already, just with the way they've played and, you know, how well Kawhi Leonard is fit, but is this the guaranteed fix for Philly? Because they haven't looked like, not consistently, like the team we thought they would coming into the season. No, I mean, we don't know how how Butler is going to fit with Simmons, especially. Do you have concerns, rather? 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. We have to see how this plays out. And the good yeah. thing is, is that they have plenty of time to work things out. They still have 68 games left in the regular season. Right. And and there's no chance of them not being a playoff team in the East. And there's probably little chance of them not being a top five team in the mm-hmm. East. Right. So at worst, at worst, they're in that four five matchup or, or right. whatever. But I think, yeah, there, I mean, like there's a, a clear top five in the East with Toronto, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Boston and Indiana, I think. And like you said, Toronto has seen like looks like number one with a bullet and the Bucks are right there, too. But I mean, the good thing is they're in the East. It sort of makes up for whatever may be ailing you. And and that includes growing pains with a new player aboard and, and growing pains with Mark L. Fultz in the and the rotation and, and sort of their lack of depth and all that. But I think the ceiling's higher just because they just have more, an, an, a third guy to really turn to when they need it. And like I said, the fit is, a, is still a question. Like, I don't know how Simmons and Embiid are going to work together offensively. Sure. I mean, excuse me, uh, Butler and Embiid uh, yeah. are going to work together offensively. But I like... You know, I, I wrote this the other day. Their go-to action in close games has been like a two-man game with Redick and Embiid, sort of a handoff mm-hmm. two-man game where Embiid hands off to Redick. Redick might toss it back to him, take another handoff, and it's just trying to free him up for a shot. Now imagine you have that, and then on the other side of the floor, you can turn to a, a Butler-Simmons pick-and-roll or something like that, where Simmons can act as like a true four-man and, and roll to the basket and, and, and set a screen for Butler and duck in in the paint, and you have now another guy that you can turn to on either the weak or the strong side and have multiple stuff that's tough to guard. The only other real question I have about this is what does it do to Markel Fultz? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated just to see who their starting lineup is, you know, with yeah. the first game with Butler, if they really think that they can have Butler, Simmons, and Fultz out there together or if one of those guys the one thing about Brett Brown's rotation is that he subs early and often and so the starting lineup I mean we see it you know he's 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 put Fultz in the starting lineup and that's an important thing but like it only gets a certain amount of time in the first quarter and then he starts subbing guys out two at a time and and starters will come back before the end of the first quarter so with this team especially like the starting lineup doesn't have to be perfect necessarily as opposed to a team where the starters are on the floor together for more minutes at the start of the first and the start of the third and the end of the second and the end of the fourth. This team is going to mix and match a lot more. Although that does become a little bit tougher with a little less depth given the two pieces that they traded. The other thing that's going to be telling is just how they play in uh, crunch time minutes. Does Joel and B continue to be the guy who you're looking for in those situations? Or does Jimmy Butler, who's been known to go off script, you know, and kind of get into the ISO one-on-one stuff, hero ball even, if you will, you know, when he felt it was required in Minnesota and certainly before that in Chicago, does he continue that trend in Philly? Because Brett Brown has got a very specific way he's been trying to get these guys to play. Yep. I don't know if you want to upset what Joel Embiid has going on as an offensive force. Really, it just as a two-way force in the league, but certainly offensively. Do you want to do anything to upset Embiid's trajectory right now? I, I certainly think on paper, this puts the Sixers back into that holy trinity, if you will, in the East, except that the trinity is a foursome. Um, Because Milwaukee, to me, has completely turned this thing inside out in terms of where they fit. I wasn't sure if they would be among that elite group. And here they are early in the season, shoe making themselves look like exactly that. 
which leads us into week five of the power rankings on NBA.com. Raptors, Blazers, Bucks, Warriors, Nuggets, the top five this week. Which of these teams, if I told you in the week five power rankings, this team's going to be in the top five, which of these two teams would you have laughed at me about? (laughs) Obviously, Portland and I think probably Denver, you know, Mm -hmm. Milwaukee, I, I think we saw the potential for a really good team on both ends of the floor. Mm-hmm. One, they were a pretty good offensive team last year as it was. They were a top 10 offensive team last year as it was. And two, Bud's success on the defensive end of the floor. But I, I'm pleasantly surprised by Portland. I think they've played really well. They are 6-1. and one. So there's 15 teams right now that are over 500. Blazers mm-hmm. are 6-1 against the other 14, having beat the uh, Bucks, Clippers, and Celtics at home this past week. Right. I thought they their bench was going to – I mean, they, they embenchments were important for them last year, and then they lost basically three of their top four or five reserves in Ed Davis, Shabazz Napier, and even Pat Connaughton gave them some solid minutes, not as much – not in the volume that Davis and Napier did. Mm-hmm. And so I thought bench, bench minutes were going to be a problem for them, but bench minutes have been really good for them this year. I think Zach Collins has stepped up, has improved in his second year. Evan Turner's been really good. Right. And that's been critical for them. Nick Stauskas is, <laughs> don't leave my guy out. Don't, don't leave the blue out. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously <laughs> McCollum had a huge game against the Bucks, dropping rookie Dante uh, DiVincenzo. Yeah, he was not appreciative of them putting a rookie on him. And Lillard has been fantastic. Both those guys have been terrific. But uh, I think the bench minutes have been critical in this team being so good. And, and like I said, being so good against other good teams. And so do you weigh that? Like, you know, I know there's no strength of schedule component. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. You, that, that seems like something that you've always kind of valued in the power rankings. Definitely. Quality. Yeah. wins are important to me that's why they're number two this week basically, right because they just beat three good teams you know it was at home you know road wins mean more to than home wins to me mm-hmm. and as always the rankings are whatever you know <laughs> like one percent of the work that goes into into this but i do sort of put together a little formula based on record strength of schedule point differential and then i look at quality you know once i get that or sort of all together i look at quality wins and then if two teams are next to each other, if they played each other in the last 10 days or so, I look at head to head. So yeah, that's why Portland is up just because they beat good teams. Yeah. And that's, that's important. But like, you know, Milwaukee falls to three after a, what should be a good two and two trip. You know, they played four good Western conference teams. They went two and two. Went to Oracle and, and, and handled the Warriors. Yeah. Crushed the Warriors. And so they shouldn't feel too bad about where they are. And the Warriors are, you know, dealing with injuries right now. And, yeah. and you know, what fun would it be if I just had them number one in the rankings? All <laughs> well, th- there's one team that I'm, I'm stunned still hasn't found its way out of a, an early season hole. It's your team to watch this week, the Houston Rockets, who are in the news <laughs> for more than just their five and seven start to the season shoe. There's reports and conflicting reports now that Carmelo is – is basically close to exiting the situation in Houston, which he handpicked. Am I correct? This is the... Sure. I mean, yeah, he's bought out by the Hawks. Yeah, he he picked Houston as his opportunity to, you know, kind of restart after the disaster in Oklahoma City. And now there are reports that say the the Rockets plan to waive him. Mark Stein in New York Times says Mel's been told he's going to be waived. But then I, I watched the video of Daryl Morey kind of pushing back against all those reports and talking about how unfair it is to speculate about these things. I mean, who's telling the truth? And what could Carmelo have done in 12 games to to make you decide, you know, you can no longer operate without him? That's what I – there's got to be something more to this, yeah. right? I mean, yes, he's, he's not been good. Yes, he was – 
absolutely brutal in that last game he played, which was ironically in Oklahoma City. Um, he's one for 11 and, and his defense was not bad. And yes, he has the worst plus minus on the team. Okay. But like you said, it's it's been 12 games. And so it's only been 10 with him. And guess how many minutes he's played with Chris Paul and James Harden? Oh, I can only imagine. It's, it's probably minuscule. 37. Yeah. So yeah, it hasn't worked. But it hasn't worked with Michael Carter-Williams either. And they're not talking about waving him. And so there's got to be something more to it, whether he just, I don't know, I don't want to speculate, but like maybe, you know, it has to be like him that's not happy with the role or, you know, not happy not being able to take mid-range shots. I don't know. Like, yeah, he chose this situation. Huh? And they were supposed to be this complete understanding on both sides of what his role would be on this team. There was no yeah. open-ended questions about what his role would be. He was supposed to be an off-the-bench player in on this team at this stage of his career, which I don't think is outside of the, the realm of reasonable, that you would ask Carmelo to come off the bench. I mean, look around the league, Shu, and tell me how many guys 16 years and deeper, outside of Vince Carter, who are clearly a member of the Button family, um, <laughs> You know, but I mean, how many other guys that that deep in their careers other than LeBron are the number one options on a team? What could Carmelo have seen that made him believe his role would be anything other than what it's been? I don't know. I mean, I can't wait to hear. I feel like there's we're missing a huge chunk of this story, Mm -hmm. you know, because like I said, you know, Michael Carter Williams hasn't been good. He's been DMP'd the last five games in favor of an undrafted rookie named Gary Clark. You know, raise your hand if you knew who Gary Clark was. uh, (laughs) Who he played for. Yeah. So why is it that Mello's struggles are, are going to result in a parting of ways if, 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 uh, you know, and I believe Stein's reporting, I believe, uh, I think it was Tim McMahon from ESPN yeah. saying that, you know, everybody uh, around them believes that he's not, that Mello's played his last game for the Rockets. Like why? And, you know, what is it? What is there a personality clash somewhere? Is it just him in sort of Iverson mode, unable to accept this sort of smaller role? Right. Or is is it something else? You know, I feel like we're missing a huge chunk of the story, and I can't. <laughs> I hope we're gonna, you know, find out what what that what that chunk is. It's, it's interesting to me on social media. LeBron James and Dwayne Wade have been very adamant and vociferous in their defense of Carmelo Anthony. Chris Paul, who's another member of their crew, that, that brotherhood of guys. For obvious reasons, he's been, he hasn't yeah. commented and hasn't been uh, right. spoken about it. The whole thing is like, hey, don't blame Melo for their problems. And I agree with that. Like, they have problems well beyond... Just Carmelo, yeah. Yeah, Carmelo. But, like, the blaming Carmelo, like, is Twitter noise, right? Isn't it? Or is there somebody on the inside that's blaming Carmelo for their issues? Well, I think a lot of people will point to the fact that he and Mike D'Antoni didn't coexist very well in their previous stop together in New York. And, and people raised that question when, when Melo decided to go there. I know I was, that was on my mind and something I sure. talked about out loud with people. Like, you know, I don't, how does this work the second time around for two guys where, that it didn't work for before? But even Mike D'Antoni has been defensive, uh, you know, about yeah. people poking at Carmelo. So I, mean, I don't. What's said publicly is, oh, you know, we got to take yeah, that. So you just ball, don't. But. You don't know if there's, again, if there's something else, some other, you know, shooter will drop in this thing. I mean, I, I mean. We'll find out. But, do, I mean, does, does getting rid of Carmelo even solve their problems? Like, even if he's not really the problem, does no, it just it, no, the act I mean, of move, I mean, removing him solve it? No, they played eight guys last night yeah. uh, against Indy. They need depth. Prior to that game last night, I mean, they had Eric Gordon back, so he played a good deal of mon- minutes off the bench. So did Gary Clark, the aforementioned Gary Clark. 
but sure. prior to that game that last night, they were averaging the fewest minutes per game off the bench, like from players off the bench, even fewer than than Tom Thibodeau's Wolves, and given his reputation for leaning <laughs> heavily on his starters. So, uh, like, they severely lack depth, and I know, you know, they – had you know D'Antoni played a short rotation last year but still like you can't you can't get through an 82 game season leaning so heavily on on your top guys especially when Chris Paul is is you know 33 years old and apparently dealing with an elbow issue tendonitis or something in his elbow like you gotta get more players that you can trust at least on one end of the floor or the other and like I said they're playing Gary Clark and somebody I named Isaiah Hartenstein right now (laughs) So. Somebody named. You got you to be kinder to uh, the deeper ranks of these <laughs> rosters around the NBA, John Schumann. I just feel like this is, another, you know, whoever kicked off the Carmelo is going to be the scourge of the NBA train years ago. They're having their time with it right now. I mean, I, I can't imagine a guy is this big an issue in every place he goes. You know, unless, unless Hoodie Melo is, is pulling the wool over everyone else's eyes. I haven't I haven't noticed that he's been some supreme malcontent or it's not like he doesn't go out and play. He he plays the way he plays. He hasn't evolved as the times have changed in the league. I, I get that. Yeah, I mean he does lack some self awareness, right? As far yeah, as yeah, he's he's not you know the most conscious guy about how his performance impacts the the performance of other guys on his team. But he's not the number one guy anymore. He wasn't the number one guy in Oklahoma City, but he took blame like he was. Tell me what other place you focus on the on your sixth or seventh man, the way people have focused on Carmelo in Oklahoma <laughs> City and Houston. doesn't happen. After the first game, or was it their first game? Yeah, in New Orleans, they, they got killed. They got thumped, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I tweeted that stat, basically, that they trailed by almost as many, by 20, by 20 or more points in almost as many minutes in that game as they did all of last season. And, like, immediately, like, the most of the Twitter responses were, you know, uh, gifts of Carmelo. It was, like, really, like, it's amazing how... He's got this this rep. And like I said, the team should be able to block out that sort of Twitter noise, as I said. So there's got to be, like I said, some blame being thrown on him from from on, from on somewhere in the inside for, for it to, to have come to this. My, my lingering thought about Carmelo, Shu, is if this didn't work out, if he couldn't make it work in Oklahoma City with Russ and Paul George, if he can't make it work in Houston, where, where can he go? Like, what else... What other situation could he be in and be content? What other situation could a team absorb Carmelo and and what he brings and use it to their advantage? Like if he's not, and this is not a knock on him, but if he's not ring chasing at this stage of his career, what's he doing? I don't know. Like what's the point? I, I really don't know. You know, and, and it harkens back to Iverson, you know, like. Yeah, you mentioned that. There was that Memphis situation that ended yeah. really badly, really quickly. Um, and then he ended up playing a few games with the Sixers as sort of like a little reunion tour. I remember going to that first game when he played back, he, he rejoined the Sixers and the place was full and they yeah. were going crazy. Right. And then two days later, they're playing somebody else and that was it. Like it was like, <laughs> it was literally like a one day welcome I- Iverson back type of thing. They loved it. And two days later, same arena, same team. Iverson still playing, still on the team, and the place was back to being pretty quiet. So that, that's that's what it reminds me of. And then I don't know if there is a a reunion tour team for Carmelo, really. Yeah, it's a tough way to watch yet another guy who was one of the the main figures of his generation of players. You know, we can knock Carmelo all we want, but you know, at his best, he was 
He was one of the league's most breathtaking scorers. He led a Denver team to the conference finals early in his career, something that I think is conveniently forgotten about. He he was the one who embraced the challenge of being the face of the franchise in New York. That didn't turn out. You know, so I don't know how much looking in the mirror Carmelo will do on how his career is transpired here but it's just I, I don't know it gives, leaves me with an uneasy feeling knowing that he'll finish his career in a way that I didn't think he would given the way it started and they'll have company on that long boat ride out of the league sure I mean Dwight Howard will have done something similar in terms of the the heights he reached at his best compared to the lows that he's endured since then but it but it remains to be seen we we need to hear more out of this Houston situation in terms of what really has been the issue I can't imagine Chris Paul and James Harden didn't calculate all of the different factors that needed to be included when when Carmelo joined them. I mean, surely they understood there would have to be some cogent understanding of how they would play together and how these guys would coexist. For it to be over, potentially after 12 games, is very strange. Shocking and and very strange. Be sure to to read the full Week 5 Power Rankings on NBA.com at NBA.com slash Power Rankings. We'll be back Thursday. Maybe we'll have some clarity by then about not only Carmelo's situation in Houston, but what Jimmy Butler looks like in a, in a Sixers uniform. And shoot, I was stuck. I mean, did you did you make a, a meme of Jimmy Butler in a Sixers uniform like the rest of the free world did? There were so many of them after the trade, I couldn't believe it. That's not my job. So <laughs> I know I have a little bit of Photoshop skills, but I'm not in the <laughs> – putting guys into different uniforms. Uh, it was a very – I mean, it happened, uh, you know, like just boom on a Saturday morning. Like, whoa, <laughs> just out of nowhere. The, the NBA is undefeated right now in terms of hogging the, the news cycle and spotlight from other sports. I mean – Yeah, we're going to have to find something else to talk about once this Carmelo situation. You know, we, know. we go from Jimmy Butler to, to Melo, and then, you know, we're going to find something else to talk about. Well, I mean, Porzing- the Porzingis thing was heating up for a second. I was hopeful that we'd get some drama out of that, but <laughs> it kind of put put water on that. Uh, anyway, again, very interesting stuff that goes on in this league. Glad we're here every Monday and Thursday on the Hangtime Podcast to talk about it. And as I mentioned, we'll be back Thursday with another episode. Uh, be sure to subscribe to Hangtime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast for a new episode every Monday and Thursday all season long. Make sure you leave a review and check out all of the, the work on NBA.com, both Uh, the power rankings on Monday, the MVP ladder on Fridays. And uh, we'll see you right here next time on the Hangtime Podcast.